This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. The difficult racial challenges for the Latinx community. Irregardless of the time period, immigrants have been criminalized. Latinos have experienced a heavy dose of that. Cindy Benavides, CEO of the League of United Latin American Citizens, says that's where they come in. We were created in 1929 at a time when simply coming together for a Mexican-American U.S. citizen in Texas could be considered conspiracy and our community was hanged, lynched, and even killed. Coming up in this episode of Colors. I'm a direct descendant of Thomas Jefferson's grandfather who had a grandson who married a slave. Her name is Risha Rainey. She's an African-American woman. She's also a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution. And she has got quite a story to tell. I recall not knowing why I might want to join this organization. And once I became a member, I was embraced by the society. And I feel like that's a story that a lot of people don't know. It seems that America isn't willing to advance and allow them to progress to the society that they are today. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. And I'm white. I'm JJ Green, and I'm black. And this is Colors. Yeah, Chris. Um, hey, how are you? Uh, you know, all things considering, I can't complain. Okay, how about you doing well? You are in sunny Florida, and you are a Tampa Bay Rays fan. And as you I know, am. I am in always cloudy Washington these days, at least. <laughs> and I'm an Los Angeles Dodgers fan. And so, yes, you have always been one. <laughs> we're we're even one to one. Yeah, well, when I I you're, I like your your team is is going to win, but I'm glad we at least got one. Um, so we'll, well I'll keep my fingers crossed. We're enjoying having the Rays, you know, do something with their little payroll. Nice job. Anyway, yeah, well, uh, we've got a wonderful guest today. Her name is Risha Rainey, and she's a native of somewhat cloudy Washington right now, and a direct descendant of Thomas Jefferson's grandfather. And she's the first black state officer in the Maryland State Society Daughters of the American Revolution. And that's what got my attention. I've known about the DAR, one of the largest patriotic women's organizations in the world, 180-some thousand members, 3,000 chapters across the U.S. and foreign countries. But honestly, and I, I have to admit this, and you know, I'll claim it, I simply did not know that there were African-American women members of that organization. Welcome to the show, Risha. And perhaps you can explain why we didn't know this. Thank you, JJ and Chris, for inviting me to be here. I, I The first Black member was 
admitted, widely known black member was admitted in 1977, Karen Batchelor Farmer. So, but you are not alone. This is why I'm doing the research that I'm doing right now, because many people still don't know that there are black members of the Daughters of the American Revolution. I am doing research as a Harvard University non-resident fellow under the Hutchins Center for African and African-American Research under the direction of Professor Henry Lewis Gates, Jr. Some of him, some people know him as the host of the PBS special Finding Your Roots and many other specials. Yeah, we're very familiar. I just familiar. found it so fascinating. We're very familiar with him. What are you doing, though? Um, how did you learn about it and how did you get started on this path? So I became a member in 2010. My cousin did all of my research. So I have to give a disclaimer that I'm not a genealogist. That's not what I do in my happy time. That's not my happy space. And I'm not a historian. My background is in engineering and mathematics. So I'm a little bit out of my element in this particular area, but I'm passionate about it because people have the same reaction as you. When I would tell them that I was a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution, they said, wow, I didn't know that they were Black members. And these were member, people that I was, I was speaking to, specifically um, very astute people. I was, for example, on the corner of Washington, D.C., in front of DAR Constitution Hall during a concert that the DAR was holding in tribute to Marian Anderson. As, as we all know, in 1939, the DAR discriminated against Marian Anderson and did not allow her to sing in Constitution Hall because of her race. So in turn, the DAR has made many amends since then. And one of those occasions, they were holding a concert in tribute to her concert on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in which Eleanor Roosevelt held in honor of Marian Anderson, since Eleanor Roosevelt was also a member of the DAR, but resigned in protest against that decision that the DAR made. So there was a concert the DAR was holding in commemoration of the anniversary of Marian Anderson's uh, concert on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. When I was there, I did a survey outside because I had started this research for Harvard University, and I asked these people, they were all concert goers that were there to hear an opera concert um, to, again, reenact or pay tribute to Marian Anderson, who was a famous opera singer. When I was out there, I said, you know, do you know that they're Black members of the DAR? I kind of took surveys and these opera concert goers did not know that. And that even fueled me even more to do this research. Again, it started when I was becoming, when I applied to be a member of the DAR and I contacted a local newspaper to tell them about an activity that my chapter was going to do. I wanted to publicize my chapter to, to grow its membership. I was simply doing my DAR responsibilities. I wasn't trying to draw attention to myself. And then what happened was the story turned into it being about me. And this appeared in the Washington Post. I, I took up three quarters of the front page of that section because they said, wait, no, no, no. Don't tell us about what your chapter is doing. We want to know about you. You're black. You're a member of the DAR. How did this happen? This was in 2013. So that response to knowing that people were still being astounded by the fact that they, there are black members of the DAR, 
led me to seeking this fellowship opportunity with Harvard University in order to educate the public about our presence and our history related to the founding of this nation and that the DAR is a different society today than what other people have thought of it to be and still hold it to be since 1939 when that unfortunate incident occurred. Can, can I do a little genealogy with you? Because I'm trying to understand this. Um, so, Thomas, you, you, you say you're a direct descendant of Thomas Jefferson's grandfather. That also makes you a direct descendant of Thomas Jefferson, does it not? Or am I missing something? No. So I am a direct descendant of Thomas Jefferson's grandfather, who had a grandson named Edwin, who married a slave named Mary. And Mary was from Louisiana. And he took her to Canada to marry her because it was illegal to marry in the United States. I see. Now, what was the great grandfather's name? Uh, the grandfather. That I I'm sorry, the grandfather's name. Yep, his I, name trying... is his name is also Thomas Jefferson. Okay, <laughs> so, I looked it up. I looked yes. it up the tree and, the, and he of yes. course, he had four grandfathers, um, uh, grandparents. And I was trying to figure out the lineage, which, yep. which one was yours. Yeah. So. so Thomas Jefferson's son, Peter Jefferson, which a lot of people are aware of. Thomas Jefferson's son, Peter Jefferson, was the father of President Thomas Jefferson. Peter Jefferson had a sister named Mary Jefferson. So Thomas Jefferson's aunt, Mary Jefferson, married my Revolutionary War patriot named Thomas Turpin. Thomas Turpin had a grandson named Edwin Turpin, who married a slave named Mary from Louisiana. Okay, so now now I'm trying to figure it out because it's the most complicated. I'm going back and trying to do this backwards. Yes, I was getting confused as to how this happened. So this was so they were married, and then they moved to to what later became the United United States. So Edwin, yes, so Edwin was already here in the United States of America. Thomas Turpin was from Virginia, a prominent family in Virginia. Again, he married the aunt of Thomas Jefferson, the president. Except so it wasn't it wasn't the United States of America. It was <laughs> whatever we were. We were a colony of Great Britain back in. in right. But so he fought in the American Revolution. So he came right. before the revolution because yeah. Thomas Turpin fought in the American Revolution. He was in Virginia. And his son, William Turpin, who's also my Revolutionary War patriot, also fought in the American Revolution. William's son, Edwin Turpin, married a slave named Mary. And of course, it was still illegal for a white man to marry a black woman. And he took her to Canada to make it legal. And they moved back to Virginia near the Richmond area and lived together, which was highly unusual because it was very common for a white man to have both a white wife and a black wife. He never had a white wife, but even when they did have a black wife, they never lived in the same house. So Edwin was unusual. He had no white wife and he lived in the same house with Mary and the neighbors protested and burnt down their house repeatedly and they rebuilt. Of all places to move, this uh, mixed race couple that legally could not get married in what is now the United States, though it wasn't then, went to Canada to get married and then came back of all places and went to Virginia. Why didn't they stay in Canada where they would be treated better or at least another part of what is now the United States where perhaps they wouldn't be as discriminated against as they were in Virginia? I think it was to stand their ground, to acknowledge that this is their home 
and no one was going to push them out, just like the Black women that I am profiling and collecting their narratives during this research that I'm doing. They very much are feeling the same way, specifically now during this time of the national discussion about racial injustice following the death of George Floyd and Armand Aubrey, among others. You have a podcast of your own. It's called The Daughter Dialogues. And that is a fascinating uh, group of people that you've assembled and looking at people on the list. It's a long list of of women of color who, uh, at least the ones that I've seen, who have uh, contributed to uh, their, you know, descendants of patriots and patriots themselves. Uh, Tell us about the objective behind the Daughter Dialogues. Yes, the Daughter Dialogues, as you're correct, is a podcast that I am using to disseminate my research that I'm conducting as a Harvard University fellow, documenting the narratives of present day Black members that descend from ancestors who contributed to the founding of this nation and the independence during the Revolutionary War, the independence of this nation. These women have documented their history by becoming members of the Daughters of the American Revolution. And I want to show, tell their story. A lot of their stories are untold. Mm -hmm. They're untold histories. And a lot of people are unaware that 6,000 men and women of color contributed to the American Revolution. A lot of people are familiar with Crispus Attucks, but DAR recognizes him as fighting in the Boston Massacre, which was a defining event that led to the American Revolution. Thus, Crispus Attucks, although he was Black and died fighting in the battle, he's not considered a patriot under which a member can join because a member has to descend from, be a direct descendant of someone who fought or contributed to the American Revolution and the Boston Massacre in which Crispus Attucks died was an event that occurred outside yeah. of the American Revolution. This is an interesting um, piece of information that you share regarding Crispus Attucks, because I always believed him to be the first person to die in the cause of freedom in the U.S., but maybe that's a different view by others. But um, you said in one of our earlier conversations before we got to this podcast, uh, and this had to do with um, not knowing, some of us not knowing, not recognizing um, just how deeply the DAR had gotten, according to you, into making sure that these stories and and being welcoming, um, first of all, to women of color and others, uh, and that these stories were told, that uh, America has not or may not have uh, allowed or maybe doesn't want the DAR to present uh, itself this way. Did I get that wrong? Right. So again, I am not, and I can't speak on behalf of the DAR. I cannot represent their position. I'm speaking as a researcher under Harvard University in the the Daughter Dialogues Oral History Project that I'm conducting. So from my experience, I have seen where during that concert that I mentioned, where I was sitting there during the tribute to Marian Anderson in 2009, I was sitting there among other concert goers who were listening to opera and the president general, which is the leader of the entire national society, got on stage to address the audience and they booed her. They booed her. It was so distasteful 
these men and women sitting in suits, I can only imagine because they are still feeling very much upset about the injustice that Marian Anderson experienced from the DAR not allowing her to sing there in 1939, that they still felt it was their place to boo the president general of the Daughters of the American Revolution during an opera concert that they were hosting in their own building for the public. Wow. I was very upset by that because I wanted to look to the left and to the right and tell these people, hey, hey, I'm a I'm a black DAR member right here. And I'm having a very positive experience. You all are still holding it to this 1939 um, memory so, so who and was, not looking at who they are today. Who was doing the booing? The people in the audience. Again, these were men and women dressed in suits and long gowns listening to an opera concert. I'm speaking more specifically, um, the people that were booing were these African-Americans? Were they white? Were they mixed? I'd say the audience was about 75 percent white, maybe 80 percent. Huh. I'm I'm uh, uh, so you're a, a woman, black woman living in 2020 in Washington, D.C., and you have this incredible history. Um, what is your take on where we stand now in in race relations in this country? Because you come at it from a completely different viewpoint than anybody else we've ever talked to, I think. Right. So I, I've been listening to these women telling their stories, and it kind of also makes me think about it differently myself. The women that I'm speaking to, again, they can be heard in the Daughters Dialogue podcast as part of my research. They're basically saying that they reject the idea of people defining a real American as someone who's white. They are rejecting the idea of people who are trying to erase and exclude Black people and our contributions to America, particularly now in this moment of time. And it's important to update the narrative and tell a more honest truth about the founding of this country and which families can be included in that and black families can be included in that. And a lot of these women, they definitely say that this is their land. They belong here. Their roots grow really deep and no one can take it away from them. They feel a sense of pride, a deeper sense of patriotism and loyalty to this country because their flesh and blood fought, gave, and participated in the cause for freedom. Of course, they acknowledge that they want this country to move towards a more perfect union, and we're not there yet, but they also celebrate their ancestors' contribution to the founding of the United States of America. You, you say something about um, that this research you're doing, these dialogues can contribute toward racial healing. Can you explain that a little bit? Yes, it's been so fascinating, Chris. I I just did not expect this going into this project. Again, I am a mathematician. I'm an engineer. This is not my wheelhouse. Um, But as I'm disseminating this information, I've spoken to many groups about the stories of the women that I'm collecting. And let's let's back up. And you have to remember that a lot of these women do not descend from African-American patriots. They're patriots are mostly white, white men. And what they're finding is that a lot of the stories involve stories about slavery, where there was a slave woman and a white man had a relationship with this woman, some of them consensual 
and long-term with many children, some of them not. So there's a lot of pain associated with this, particularly for the Black women. And these Black women have done research and located white relatives who descend from, these relatives were previously unknown, so white people who have descended from their ancestors, former enslaver, and these white people also happen to be relatives based on the relationships that happened back during those times. So some of these Black women have reached out to these white relatives that didn't previously know each other and said, hey, do you know we have this common ancestry? And this is the answer. This is, this is how we both kind of descend from this man. And this is what the man did to my family. But I want to reach out to know you better and for us to share stories about our history. And I want to learn more about my lineage. And many of those white women have accepted that call and they're establishing relationships with these black women. And they're doing things that are so amazing. So for example, there's some stories about their, um, there was a Nikki Williams Sebastian. She connected with a cousin again through this means and they never knew each other. They met and he happened to be Mormon and he invited them out to her and her family out to Utah to go to his congregation where he stood in front of the congregation and talked about the man who enslaved her ancestor, mm-hmm. which is both of their ancestors. And then one of her family members ended up converting to Mormonism. There's a story from uh, Del Jupiter. She's 96 years old. So I've interviewed women from 28 a 28-year-old millennial, all the way up to a 96-year-old from the greatest generation. Yeah. And she said the white family that she connected with didn't know that they had a black slave ancestor. This but, white family actually found her through yeah. her research. It, by and the way, they, mm-hmm. Del Jupiter, Chris, lives in Pensacola, or at least... Um, <laughs> maybe not lives yes. there, but had some history in Pensacola. Oh, lots of history. She was a member of the Florida Descendant Society, and she was able to, the first Black member of that society, because she was able to trace her lineage back to before Florida became a state. Yeah. <laughs> so the, and so she visited the grave sites with these white women and men that didn't know they had a Black slave ancestor, and they shared their ancestors together, visiting the, the grave sites of both of their ancestors, their shared ancestors together. Was there any uh, slavery in your family? Um, do you have any? Uh, um, yes. There, so there, there was. Okay. Right. So the grandson of Thomas Turpin, my Revolutionary War. Uh, I'm sorry, the grandson of Thomas Turpin. Yes, my grand, my Revolutionary War ancestor, who was also a descendant, who married Mary Jefferson, the descendant of Thomas Jefferson's grand, grand, yeah, uh, grandfather. Yeah, Chris. She already right. told us this. <laughs> right, Mary. Mary, that's okay. Mary. So uh, the grandson of Thomas Jefferson's grandfather, Edwin, married a slave yeah. named Mary. You know, the part of why Chris asked that question again, because you have dropped so much heaviness. Uh, and when I say heavy, I don't mean in a bad way. I mean, you've dropped some heavy knowledge on us both today. And as an African-American man, not just not knowing about the diversity of the DAR before meeting you, but also the backstory of what's been going on with the daughter dialogues in Harvard and this whole business. Um, as it relates to today, this is a struggle for a lot of people to make that connection now because there are so many... 
uh, elements out there that are trying to drive the races apart. Do you feel any of that? That the elements are trying to drive the races apart? Absolutely. Um, And that's why this is healing, because when I've told these stories to groups, I found that the white women were crying. They were crying from these stories, not because of the pain from the past, but because of realizing, I think that this is my opinion from my observation. It looked like they had some relief because right now, many of the women are being called a Karen. (laughs) We're familiar with that term. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think they needed some relief to not feel like the bad guy for just a moment. And to hear that there are some women of color that are tracing their ancestry black back to slavery and their ancestor was was uh responsible for that but these black women are are ready to reach out and have these relationships with the white women and men and i think they found that so healing to know like okay it ha- that we can acknowledge it happened in the past but we're ready to be one today we're ready to uh, establish meaningful relationships, even with this complicated history. And I think that felt very positive to them. I think it was also positive to hear that the Black women are embracing the DAR. We celebrate the DAR and um, we're having very positive experiences. Do you know that I also found out in my research that a lot of white women would not join the Daughters of the American Revolution even to this day, because they felt like people would think that they're joining a racist organization and they did not want to align themselves with that. So this research, I'm not doing it just to attract other black members to the society. It it, it benefits everyone. The white women are feeling relieved, yeah. like, oh, it's clear. The coast is clear. They're not the bad guys. We can join. And um, the more that this word is spread, the more that women of all races can be feeling can feel like this is, it is a diverse society. It embraces diversity. And talking about embracing, embracing diversity, the DAR back in June, when there was a lot of uh, upheaval around the killing of George Floyd, it's still going on today, but they released a, they made a post on their website reiterating their continuing commitment to equality And they stated that the National Society encourages and celebrates a diverse membership and they embrace the opportunity to support our members of color. They said that DAR reaffirms reaffirms to the membership and the public alike that our organization condemns racism, bias, prejudice and intolerance have no place in the DAR or America. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. I'll, I'll ask you, I just have one more question for you. Risha, how do you feel about Thomas Jefferson? Thomas Jefferson obviously held slaves, and that's a part of my past. But I also celebrate that I feel like we connect because as an engineer and he had the same type of mind and I I connect to him in that way. And that I don't I recognize that we have pain in the past, but I'm not carrying it forward to today. You're listening to Colors. Hi, my name is Dino Zonga, and I'm a black 24-year-old male from Seattle, Washington, home of the Chomp and Jazz Zone. I think that it's really interesting how Americans support people calling for democracy throughout the world, whether it's in Hong Kong, Iraq, Egypt, Venezuela, Libya, wherever. They always, Americans always support those efforts and they love the idea of people calling for change and people 
sticking it to their governments to, you know, feel safe. But with this, when it's in our own country, it's different for some reason. And we should take a hard look on why that is. My name is Dimitra Ganyas, and I live in Connecticut. I am a first-generation American Greek. I hope to teach my three children not to be colorblind, but to see color and to appreciate our differences. I love America, and I am not ready, even amongst the anger and divide, to give up on the idea that each person can live out his or her dream here. Aristotle said excellence comes from what we do repeatedly, that it grows from a habit. So let's continue the momentum. Let's make a habit of these uncomfortable conversations because that's where understanding and healing begin. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Well, that was a very interesting interview, JJ. The reason I was trying to um, ask her about having slavery in her ancestry, which I still didn't quite get an answer to, uh, was because I the, the day after Barack Obama was elected president, I was hosting a program on Sirius XM radio and Clarence Page was my guest. And um, he said that that the only black guy that was could have ever won an election to become president of the United States in America was Barack Obama because he's not descended from slaves. And he said every other black person in America has some history of slavery in their past, which is so difficult to get past that it makes them, uh, uh, you know, angry. And they 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 could not be elected in the same way that Obama was because he doesn't have any slavery in his family's uh, history. That's why I was trying to ask her that question, because she sounds so different from what You know, the whole D.A.R. thing is just, you know, it's so unusual. I mean, I see how it happened, but I just she didn't quite answer that question for me. And that's why I was trying to to get the answer to that. Uh, Did you understand it? I did not get it uh, that way. Um, I understood what she told me based on what I read about what she was saying. But the nuances of what you were trying to get at. No, I didn't. I did not get that uh, either. Um, but um, I'm sure, you know, you know, if we had had time, we could have drilled down even further, but you ask a legitimate question because you are related to someone's grandfather. There is a question about whether you're related to that person directly or how you're related to that person. I think that's what you were trying to ask, right? Well, I think, yeah, if she's related to Thomas Jefferson's grandfather, she is somehow related to Thomas Jefferson. I, I understand that it was a different branch but they're they were cousins at least or if not closer than that so i i just kind of got confused but i you know i i did a, a little bit of genealogy before we began talking with her to try to look back at the family tree and all those names that she mentioned i found on the family tree so it was it's a fascinating story it's really uh it's really interesting i'm you know it's it's interesting that it was illegal for uh, a black person a white person to get married in what is now the united states but that they could get married in Canada when both Canada and the United States were British territories. Yeah, and you know, that's the thing about uh, standing up against the Brits, that uh, Canada actually won. They won. They actually, uh, they were ahead of us on that one. Remember the Harriet Tubman story? She actually lived in uh, St. Catharines, Ontario, in Canada, West. And um, 
that actually was her base of operations um, where she and actually she brought her parents and her entire family up there to Canada to live while she continued her Underground Railroad operation safely from from slave catchers, you know. And I think, though, that um, this story tells us a lot about what's happening today where we live here in in this country today um, about ourselves. You know, she's out there fighting essentially to um, unify uh, people of different races, um, despite this terrible history and despite efforts by some, you know, the booing thing at the at the uh, D.A.R. Constitution Hall is horrible. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's one of those it's one of those situations where you look at um, people's choices, you know, and um, I just think what she's doing is fantastic. And um, hopefully we'll hear more about that as time passes. Good. We'd like to hear from you if uh, you're listening to our podcast and you would like to drop us a note with a guest suggestion or a comment or a question that we could address on the air. We'd love to hear from you. Please write to us at thecolorspodcast at gmail.com. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm Black. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. And this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. It's our last episode before the 2020 presidential election, so we take a unique look at how race will factor in the election, specifically how foreign adversaries are trying to leverage it. Uh, they, they do that with disinformation, disinformation to widen divides that already exist in our society. That's H.R. McMaster, former national security advisor to President Donald Trump, and he's talking specifically about Russia. They, they spent about 80 they spent about 80 percent of their time and effort on dividing us on issues of race. He only spends a short time with us, but he puts some key things into perspective. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. Well, it's time to leave again. And before we do, we want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Hillary Howard. Mike Jakaitis, Jocelyn Chesson, Melissa Howell, Deanna Howell, Mitchell Miller, Sam Millstone, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Ellie Rowe, Greg Strassel. Thank you to Liz Anderson, Sean Anderson, Beth Gibbs, Dimitri Sotis, Adisa Hargett-Robinson, Acacia James, Fonda Mwangi. And of course, we want to thank Jesse Gallagher and Cosmic and Diamond Ortiz for the music. And most of all, again, thank you to all of you for listening to us. And finally, just remember, keep talking to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.